Let's Talk Care with Casper and Christy, produced in the Ed Center Auditorium. Opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the host or Prometica. Welcome back. Uh, we've been talking about a few things over our past podcast about fulfillment and community needs and really some of the great things about Prometica and what we're doing. One of the things that we hear a lot about is social determinants of health or SDOH. We see stuff on the My Prometica page. We see stuff in our documentation. We hear about it on the news. That's part of our mission in the community. That's a great point, Christy. It is. And it's such an easy mission to get behind, right? I mean, we're here to promote the health and well-being of our community, and SDOH is a huge factor today. Really excited to have with us today the Associate VP of Clinical Integration Outcomes of the SDOH Initiative, Dr. Katie Ward. Katie and I worked together a lot on some length of stay initiatives and some other things when she was in her previous role. Welcome, Katie. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Kind of tell us exactly what you do and how you got to your position. Sure. Responsible for identifying our patients' non-clinical risk that they bring into the settings in which we interact with them and translating that and essentially standing up different interventions through either our primary care practices or within our discharge planning teams or really community-based interventions that our patients can connect with to help to solve for some of those risks so that we can help to eliminate those risk factors and allow them to concentrate on their health and well-being, which we know is obviously where we want them to be. But we can't ignore the fact that a huge piece of who, who they are and what they bring to the table is driven by their social determinant of health. Well said. Well I've said. said that once or twice before, maybe. <laughs> Muscle memory. <laughs> Muscle memory, no. And I know you lit and breathe it, but mm-hmm. uh, it's you're so right. I mean, I, I remember working in wound care and obviously surgical and post-surgical and the impact of what patients had access to, what they were able to do as far as contributing to their own health and, and care and, and certainly their wound care had a huge impact on how they progressed and how they did. Right. We hear about this a lot, like mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, but like, how do we get here? How do we determine that this is something that we need to work on as a health organization? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, if I had to tell the story and I'd probably not get it 100% right because I've only been with the team for about a year, but it really started about 10 years ago when we were on a mission to address childhood obesity. And as part of being a nonprofit organization, we complete a community health and needs assessment every three years to really look at what's happening in our communities and where can we serve and, and provide community benefit to address those gaps. And so childhood obesity was one that had popped up about 10 years ago, like I said, and we set out a plan to go into schools and start to work with administrators, educators, and the staff, uh, along with the students and their families to address these, what we thought was the key drivers of their childhood obesity. And what the team learned at the time was it really wasn't so much about their ability to make good choices and how they made those choices. It was about access to food and where they were receiving their their food and came to fruition that the food deserts were a real problem. So instead of focusing on the educational pieces of it, we decided to pivot and take on hunger as a, as a health issue. And at that time, uh, we decided to put in plans to open up Market on the Green, which is a full-service grocery store located downtown in a food desert, and also to establish some food clinic resources for our patients over time that evolved to be for our employees as well. It really put us out there as a national leader in social determinants of health. We get asked a lot about how did we get started? How did, how did all that kind of work? We do a lot of talks with other organizations to kind of talk to them about their path and, and perhaps how we can partner with them and or give them the roadmap of, of how to make their way through. 
But then since then, we've evolved to expand outside of food insecurity screening. So if you've ever been in one of our clinical settings as a patient and, you know, delivering care at the bedside, you're asking those questions around social determinants of health. And it's, it's not just about hunger anymore. We're looking at 14 different domains of social risk and using the results of, of those responses to really help to connect patients to that next level of care that they need. So when you say food desert, can you kind of elaborate on what defines a food desert? I can. I would say that it really means that the access to food in the communities in which they live, so where are they going to get the food, might be more of a corner store. Maybe that's not well provided with the healthy fruits and vegetables, some of those healthy options that we love to see our patients connect with because we know that a key thing for our patients is food is medicine, right? If they're a diabetic, we want them to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. And, um, you know, every different chronic condition that we work with has different diet elements that are important. So if they don't have access to those things and they're going to be buying the, the higher sugar items or just some of those things that are higher in sodium, they're going to influence their health or, you know, lend to obesity and other issues that contribute to chronic diseases. That's where we really think a food desert lies. And so I'm sure the technical definition is way better than that. There is a like a food desert map you can overlie it over your communities and you can understand what where there is higher risk to be in a food desert and understand. But the central Toledo area where our market on the green is located is considered a food desert. I think that's a really good explanation, Katie. Of course, you had to get in there, the fruits and vegetables, being a yeah. farm girl. I get well, that. Oh, yeah, know. for sure. Grew up on a farm too, so I understand completely. But the thing that's amazing about that, there's a good documentary out there on Netflix, I believe it's called Forks Over Knives. I remember right. And it talks a lot about that, how in these food deserts, it's cheaper for a family if struggling to put meals on the table to buy fast food mm -hmm. than it is to get in the more expensive mm -hmm. fruit and vegetables. Yeah. So really kind of providing that is a massive, massive intake for uh, healthier living and, and, and better well-being. Yeah. Yeah. That corner, you know, that corner market's going to have a lot of chips and mm -hmm. salty foods, salty mm -hmm. snack treats, as I like to call them, is what Katie said. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, that may be what you're getting from a nutrition standpoint as opposed to really the, right. the more essential. Yeah, I agree. I think there's also an element too in terms of preparation and the knowledge on, on how to prepare a healthy meal. And so some of those programs are what we aim to deliver through the Ebite Institute. And I think Cooking Matters is a way to connect patients to resources to tell them, you know, this is how you can do it with just some simple things you can pick up at the grocery store. And so it's it's about the food prep piece too, because I know I'm guilty of it. I'll go out and grab a bag of chips and send it in the backseat with my kids on the way to the next thing, right? But really making food a priority in your household, especially when you have chronic health conditions, it's so important. So you mentioned Market on the Green, but we also have a food clinic. That's right. Yeah, we actually have three different food clinics in the Metro Toledo area. They're located, one at Bay Park Hospital, one at the Center for Health Services across the street from Toledo Hospital, and then over at the Health and Wellness Center closer to the Flower Campus. And we offer five days a week, Monday through Friday, different varying hours of operation, of course, but uh, patients are referred to our food clinic through their primary care physician, or it could be a provider too. Let's call it primary care provider. If they have a food insecurity uh, screen by answering yes to one of our two hunger vital signs within the, the clinical setting, they're given this referral and they can come to the food clinic one time a month for six months, and we will provide them food that will serve their entire household. You know, some individuals will come in and they have a family of seven at home and we send them out with bags upon bags of, of groceries that make up the different food groups, but are really healthier options. And I like to distinguish the difference of our food clinic versus maybe going to a community food bank, which are essential and important as well. But from a clinical lens, we have selected foods on our on our shelves that are 
lower in sodium, put together recipes that help the individual to say, okay, maybe I don't normally eat chickpeas, but here's how I can eat them with my family and make them taste good. We provide nutrition counseling if the patient's willing to participate with our dietitian, Chloe Plummer. She's amazing. And ultimately, the most interesting part of my job is to trace those data elements back and figure out, okay, who's going, who's not going, and what's the differences between those two groups of people. And over time, we've found that we're able to decrease the number of readmissions, utilization of the emergency department. What we do, it's the right thing to do for our patients. But we know that healthcare is in a whole lot of trouble, right, in terms of, of costs and the trajectory in which we're going with our, our, what do I call it, Christy, the silver tsunami, our aging population, <laughs> our Medicare beneficiaries. You know, it's not sustainable, the path we're on. So part of our mission is to really step outside of the normal way of thinking and change that cost curve and, and help other organizations to realize ways in which they can do it as well. So the food clinic's one great example. And just a quick call out, if anybody's ever looking for volunteer hours, it's a great opportunity to come work with us. It's one to two hour shifts and you can work with our patients and assist them out to their car with their their handfuls of groceries. It's a re very rewarding experience, and we honestly can't operate without the help of our volunteers. I always say it with every interaction we have with our patients, we just have great opportunity to influence them and to build trust, because that's super important to be able to continue to, to deliver on this mission. Yeah, it's well said. And I think, you know, it's a partnership, right? I mean, we're trying yeah. to partner with our patients for their health and well-being. That's mm -hmm. our mission, mm -hmm. uh, without a doubt. And you mentioned the silver tsunami, <laughs> which I love that. And also, you're a data geek. I remember I you am. talking to me about that before. That's one of the things I miss about I you uh, leaving and into a new role, but, but happy for you. But the silver tsunami thing, I've heard through the grapevine, right, of a cool thing that we're doing with senior care on patients to decrease readmission. You want to touch on that a little bit? Um, yeah. So patients that are discharged from any of our care settings. And um, so organically, this work started um, in our hospitals, right? So patients that are food insecure on admission, we want to send them home with 24 hours worth of emergency food. So they don't have to worry about getting home. And maybe they've been in the hospital for, I'll go back to my length of stay days. Let's say they were here for three or four days and maybe they don't have any you know, milk and things in the refrigerator. So let's send them home with 24 hours worth of food to get them kind of over that hump. And also in that bag, we're giving them some community resources so they, you know, if they are food insecure and they, they need additional food, there's some support in the community that they can access. With our partnership with Senior Care and two years ago becoming to becoming a 28-state presence, food is medicine and that space is equally as important. So Food to Go in the Senior Care space is an initiative that uh, unfortunately was impacted by COVID and the fact that it's been paused, but generating new um, ideas and how we can send our patients home from the skilled nursing facility with food is something that's very important because, you know, patients that are going there are not just a couple of days. Usually it's a, a week or so. And, um, you know, they're trying to rehab their week. And the first thing they get they do when they get home likely isn't going to want to be going to the grocery store. So the same concept and rules apply. So We've been doing the, the Food at Discharge program here in the acute hospital setting for, golly, I think six years. And the senior care market had been doing it uh, prior to COVID. And like I said, we're just reestablishing that work today. We've talked a lot about hunger and food insecurity. Mm -hmm. What are some other domains of social determinants of health mm -hmm. that you're really working on right now and is getting some traction? Yeah, we always talk about food first because that's kind of the easy one. Like, you don't have food, let's give you food. But then you start to get into some of these other domains. And I mentioned there's 14, and I probably wouldn't be able to rattle them all off eloquently. But I would say financial insecurity is a huge one that we've been doing uh, for several years in terms of our financial opportunity center. And so uh, patients can receive a referral to a financial coach. And um, within that setting, they do a full 
assessment of their financial situation and kind of what the stressors are and see patients who maybe are, you know, very affluent and have a six-figure income, but they really don't know how to manage a budget. So they help them to establish that and, and get on the right track. And then the exact opposite end of the spectrum, somebody who's struggling to make ends meet and, you know, need some supplementary assistance. And so looking at, you know, what are they spending their money on? How can we get them set up into programs? Maybe there's some utility assistance programs or other things that could help. And they also prepare taxes for our individuals, and it's a community-based resource that's free to anybody, not just Promedica patients. But because of our partnership and our financial opportunity center that we have located on the fourth floor at the Evide Center, we do send our patients that have a, a positive screen for uh, financial insecurity there to meet with one of our um, FOC coaches, who are amazing individuals as well. So within that domain, we also address things like, you know, if a patient uh, needs some job training, they're able to get them into um, STNA programs that we have to get them trained up to be a, a STNA and then hired within the Promedica Health System, which we all know our patient care techs are who really uh, run, the, run the floors when, when rubber meets the road. They're the ones doing a ton of work. And so that pipeline of individuals is important, and we have that in the works as well. Maybe it's somebody who needs to go back and get their GED, and we can get them into those types of programs. And so they really do a comprehensive assessment about what's driving their financial insecurity and then try to connect the patient or community member to those resources. We also look at things like transportation. So if somebody doesn't have a car or they rely on public transportation, or maybe their the reliability of their transportation is a little sketchy, we try to figure out how can we help them so that transportation getting to their next appointment or to the grocery store isn't going to be something that prevents them from accessing those things that we know influence their health. We also stratify risks for social isolation. I'm going to have social isolation, purpose, intimate partner violence, which is a, a really important one, where we serve as that national leader in this space and continually try to iterate and innovate on our interventions to um, do things maybe a little bit differently. Um, but serve as that role model for other health or healthcare organizations to follow. Yeah, you're right about that. And, you know, being a practicing doc in town here for over 20 years, I've worked at all the different healthcare systems. And it's really great to be a part of one that doesn't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. Right. And really, really cool to see all that work being done. I'm excited to have you on the team from a perspective of putting the data behind that, because I do think if you, we get some outcomes data behind showing the impact of some of these interventions, it's just on the food aspect of it the impact that has on a better health, uh, then hopefully we can get some resources behind it from a government perspective to help support these types of initiatives. And a lot of the data, the data behind our intervention stems back years and years. And so a lot of groundwork had been laid and utilizing our EMR um, EPIC is, I think, huge. And a little bit. Not that I'm supposed to be asking the questions, but um, I think that um, and I'm hopeful that our listeners, if you're within the medical record and you can see where a patient's SDOH risks are scoring, um, we've purposefully uh, made the decision as an organization to embed that within storyboard on the left-hand side within in the medical record so that anybody who's accessing that patient's chart can have a little bit of insight and perhaps a little bit of empathy into their holistic situation. Because if you go in there and you're going to preach to a patient about taking their medications and, you know, patients want to be good patients and they're going to tell you yes and nod their head. But if you don't really think about the things that they bring to the table in terms of, you know, maybe they don't have a job, maybe they have been out of work because of their illness and, and they're really worried about how they're going to go home and pay their bills. That's the type of thing that we have to provide wraparound services for. And I think any provider has seen that in their clinical practice and, and it resonates, but it's how do you turn that into action and something we can do? 
And I really just, I respect ProMedica for being a leader in this space and saying, you know, this is important. We're going to put it right here on Storyboard in this coveted area. Everybody wants to be on Storyboard or in the header, right? To kind of give a glimpse into our patients' social lives. So um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. But um, it's there to be able to really transparently disclose um, in a way to, to make it easy for all of the providers on the care team. So you're a pretty active mom, busy yeah. mom. You live the mom life. <laughs> what would you say, like, your work, how you're making the community a better place impact the drive for you to come to work, knowing that that's going to impact your children yeah. in the future? Yeah. Wow. We're going we're gonna to go deep here. So, um, yeah, I'm a mom of three, and they pretty much run my life um, when I'm not here. And so I try really hard to come to work every day and, and do the best job I can. And, and really, it's to your point exactly that. I want to help our communities to be better positioned in the future so that these things that we're working with today, perhaps we make them better for our kids. You know, I think being in this position, and, and I, I consider it to be an honor to serve, it's giving me insight into things that I think I was kind of missing from the, from the clinical lens prior to really just making this my focus. Always trying to prevent a readmission or prevent a hospital-acquired infection or serious safety events, all these things that in my prior roles within the organization that we focused on, we didn't necessarily think about the social aspects of our patients' lives that probably were contributing to some of some of those causes. You know, I really think that if we can move upstream and address some of these social determinants of health in the way that we're already doing and some of the plans we have on our roadmap to do it differently and better in the future, it's really going to be for our kids. And, and, um, and I'm excited for that. And it's also terrifying because it's a huge endeavor. But I know we have a, a great team at ProMedica and um, so many people behind us on this that we're going to get it done. What do you want the staff to know, what, like take away from about whether they are clinical or non-clinical mm -hmm. about the importance of our work with SDOH? You know, of course, I think about this pretty much 24-7 and I think it's such valuable information to think about. But actually, at the end of the day, I just I, I want them to be proud to work for an organization that cares about, about social determinants of health. And understand that each of us, no matter what your role is within the organization, you have an impact on our patients. We couldn't do it without you, and it's all perpetuating our mission forward, the best healthcare system around for years to come, if we can take that approach to, to health. I would say drop the mic, but I think Sean will get mad. That's so well said, <laughs> don't, Katie. Don't break Sean's equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, I want to thank you for coming today. We appreciate it so much that you were able to take 30 minutes out of your very busy day to come over here and chat with us, kind of help us with our mission and purpose of this podcast and why we're doing it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think I said this to you before, you know, I think these podcasts are important and it's really bringing that that human touch of, of who we are and what we do as an organization. And I'm just really happy to, to take the time to do it. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Until next time. Take, take care. care. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Ratings and comments on those platforms will help us grow the podcast and we appreciate the boost. 